0: All right, Nehemiah chapter three. Can you guys hear me? Yes, it's on, right? Oh, I'm tripping out. Okay, Nehemiah chapter three is the the text that we're going to be in today. And uh, man, really looking forward to getting back into this book. It has been uh, awesome going through it so far. This is part four uh, of our of our series, the fourth message, and and we made it to chapter three. Um, just as a reminder, that the name of the series is Rebuild, and it is stuck, study through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go from chapter 1, where we started, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 13. And um, just as a, a way of introduction, the title of the message is Next To. It'll make sense shortly, I promise, but just put Next To as the title for today. And um, have you guys ever, you know, the, you know the V formation that birds make? You guys know about that? You know, birds fly in a V. If you don't, then just look up next time you see some birds, and they're typically fi- flying in a V formation. Now, I'm not super studious in this way, and I don't know all the science behind it, but I know that it's a genius design. Uh, science has still not been able to really fully grasp and understand um, completely the uh, the result of that and uh, the... The benefit to the birds, but uh, in in essence, it enables them right to kind of they they change off. If you don't know right, there's one that starts in the 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 top of the of the V, and then they move their way back, and they're actually able to slow down some of their. Um, Some of their flapping when they're in the back and take a rest and they transition to be able to fly over long distances. That together uh, with drafting and different things that the air produces, together these birds are able to fly farther than if they were alone. Uh, And just a couple other things that that God has created in this way, Uh, have you guys ever watched ants before? Not like the movie ants, but like ants like the little insects, right? Um, man, they're amazing little creatures. You probably hate them as I do when they get everywhere and all over your food and it's just, or in your bathroom. Why do they like the bathroom? Is it the water? I don't know. Um, but right. Ants are incredible beings. Maybe you've heard that, right. It can, it can like, um, carry, you know, three times its weight or something like that. Again, not a, not a scientist in this area of things, but if you've ever seen, have you ever seen an, them pour cement in an ant hole? You ever seen them do that? It's amazing Uh, that they'll get an ant hole, they'll pour cement in it. This is how we know that what they build down there. They pull up the cement after it dries and there's just miles and miles long of tunnels and ways and it's absolutely genius from what you and I would never know. And what one ant seems insignificant, when you have 10 million ants, uh, there's a whole lot that can be done. And God has worked this way in creation. There's so many different examples I can give you, guys, that God has designed so much of creation that when it comes together and works, way more can be produced rather than alone. And in the same way, God works this way in his church, The same way he would work with the birds or the ants, he has created his church to be next to each other, to work together. Uh, The big idea or the theme of today that I want you to write down, and I'll give it to you, it won't be on the screen, but it's this. The big idea today is that God has designed his work to be done next to each other. God has designed his work to be done next to each other. You see, eternity is most affected when God's people do God's work together. Eternity is affected in the greatest of ways. More than what one person can do alone, God works with us together. And just as a recap quickly and in some context, if you have not been with us over the last handful of weeks that we've been going through Nehemiah, if you can remember all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 1, when Nehemiah is just a simple old cupbearer in the in the court of the palace of the king of really the world at the time. And and he begins to pray and have a desire to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And and we see this transition move then from chapter 2, where God gives amazing favor and blessing in the eyes of the king to Nehemiah. He finally, what we saw the last time we were together, he finally gets to Jerusalem, gathers everyone together, becomes the leader, and begins to lead. Well, Chapter 3 is where the building of the walls begin to actually take place. Everything before this has been leading up to this very moment of chapter 3. But I want to warn you as we go into this, Nehemiah 3 is a gnarly chapter. Everyone say gnarly. You know gnarly is spelled with a G? That's crazy. That's pretty gnarly. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a gnarly chapter. Many times... Uh, There are many names, many locations, and 32 verses of simply that, names and locations. Uh, It is, as we go through this, you will see so many different names. And even as, I mean, look at your Bibles right now, just go through it. You'll see over and over again, it's this guy with a crazy name builds this wall with also crazy name. This other guy, he's along this side, and he builds this gate, and this other guy, he builds this tower, and and we see 32 verses of names and locations. But before we go into this, I want to remind you today that God is a God of intention and purpose, that he does nothing without specific reason. He has given us his word, and not one word out of this entire Bible uh, should be added to, and not one word should be taken away, that And you might say, well, even the chapters with like all those names, yup, God has designed them to be in there. I mean, think about it. If God has a book that he's going to give, every word is going to be intentional and every name has a purpose and intention. You see, the Bible says that the volume of the book, meaning from front page to last page, that the entire Bible is written of Jesus. Jesus. Everything that is in this book can be traced back to Jesus. And you're like, well, how and on earth are we going to do that today with a bunch of names and locations? Well, i excited to get into what God has for us today. Let's pray. God, we, we come before you, and as we come to this gnarly chapter with many names and locations, which can seem uh, boring or can seem on the surface as uh, unnecessary to put in here, Lord, we know that chapter 3 is put in there by you. And so we know, uh, Lord, as we come to this, that there are truths, there are principles, and there are promises and things you want us to know in here. And Lord, we know that by the end of today that we'll have a greater insight of you. And so teach us today as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. Okay, so we are not going to read every verse, uh, which some of you should... You should take a a sigh of relief, Uh, but I would encourage you to read it on your own time uh, and to have just some discipline in going through God's word. Uh, We're not going to do that today, but I'm going to give you a little background uh, and then we'll, I'll share with you how today's going to look. So uh, the walls, okay, everyone say the walls. The walls is what is being built. Remember, the Jerusalem walls are destroyed. Uh, they are unprotected. They are burned with fire. And so Nehemiah's whole job, the entire objective of this mission is to build what? It's to rebuild the walls. But just a little bit about Jerusalem. The distance around the city is not like the cities that you and I live in. That the, city, that the distance around the city, if you start from one point of the wall and go all the way around, is a mile and a half. You're like, wow, it's not that, it's not that big. It's only a mile and a half. Things were a lot different back then. Uh, But a mile and a half is still a decent ways for a wall to be that long. You see, the city was not, though, in a circular shape. It was more like in a triangular shape. Um, And uh, hopefully I can try to illustrate this to you guys. Okay, so if this is uh, one of the walls, okay, um, then one of the other walls, the, the east wall, would go down like this into a triangle. And then the west wall would come down like this into a triangle. Rather than a circle, it was more there was a big north wall, and then there was a large east wall and a large west wall, and not, there wasn't really any south wall. That wasn't a, a thing. And so that's kind of how the city is shaped. There were 11 gates and four different towers that encircled the mile and a half. And the wall, from what we know from archaeological discoveries, was approximately eight feet thick. It's pretty big. It's a pretty large wall, right? The walls that we have in our houses are like, you know, you, you hit into it, and you are like, why did my hand go through that? So we, easily. Um, But these were thick walls, and so this wasn't any small project. Uh, This was a big project. Um, We see, if you notice in verse uh, 1, it starts with the sheep gate, okay? And this is just for you to know. It starts with the sheep gate, and then if you look at verse 32, it ends with the sheep gate, meaning that everyone that is placed in specific locations, it is making a circular clockwise rotation saying that every piece of the wall is being built by different people, okay? Just some things to keep in mind. As I said, we're not going to read all 32 verses because that would take a while and you would make fun of me for saying all the crazy names and butchering them, okay? So we're not going to do that, Uh, but we will be tackling this chapter in a different way. We're going to do kind of two different sections. One, we're going to zoom out, okay? And we're going to see the chapter as an overview and what we can learn from it. And then we're going to Zoom in. And we're going to take a look at some few things uh, specifically. And so here's the bigger picture of the chapter. If you're writing notes, you can just put zoom out at the top of your page. Zoom out. Um, In a sense, you know, I I described to you the city a little bit, how it's a triangular shape. walls about eight feet thick. It's about a mile and a half. Uh, For this first part, it's as if we are in a plane or a helicopter, and we're looking down at what is going on. That there's all this building going on, all these different people building things, and you and I are going to have a view from 30,000 feet up, a bird's eye view, an overview of what's going on, and we'll see that this building project as a whole. Does that make sense? So we're going to zoom out, 30,000 foot view, and what I want you to take notice of is that there are over 28 times in this chapter uh, that these type of, uh, this type of language comes up. Remember, when anything in the Bible is repeated, it is significant. Uh, and this is repeated quite a few times, that whether it's next to him or next to them or next to that, that, this word, that these words next to keeps coming up. And it's significant. That right next to someone else is working another person, and the next to that person is another person. There are 42 groups mentioned no, write it down. 42 groups mentioned and 38 individual workers mentioned working on the wall all with different tasks, unequal portions. And they're all different classes of people, spiritual leaders, government leaders, people that just work in the workforce. And uh, David Guzik points out here that it's all about work. Everyone say work. It's all about work. Together coordinated, that these people were assigned to these different locations, and all led by one man. Who's that? Nehemiah. It's all led by one man, but all these people are working together. Warren Wiersbe says this. I want you to write it down. No one can do everything, but every person can do something. No one can do everything, but every person can do something. Now, I don't think you know where, maybe you do. Maybe you know where I'm going with this, you see, every man was appointed a task, and each had different parts of the walls to build on, but there was one goal, one objective. What was it? Finish the wall, build the wall. Now, the goal today is not to encourage you guys to become these master buildsmen, and we're gonna we're gonna rebuild the wall because that's what God wanted them to do. So that's what God wants us to do. No, you and I have something different to build. You see, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul mentions himself as a fellow worker or a fellow builder with God, a co-laborer, literally a co-worker. And it's amazing to think that God would look at you and I today and say, I want to work with you, that I want to work even next to you. See, if so with God, if God would consider us as a fellow worker, how much more should we look at one another as fellow workers? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to put your little tassel in Nehemiah and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you don't know yet, I'm relating what is going on here uh, with Nehemiah in this building process to what God would want to do through you and I as the church, right? We sung about that a moment ago, how we are the church. We're the bride of Christ. But we're, God did not leave us here to do nothing. He left us here to do work. How are we to work together? Well, we are to work together next to each other. You see, Christianity is not about a one-man show, but many people coming together with one objective and one goal, and that is to build the church of God. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're actually going to read down to verse 27. It's a few verses, so be sure to, ta- uh, to track along as we go. You guys there? 1 Corinthians verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. That there is, have you guys ever heard of the term, the body of Christ? All right, that's what you and I are. We are, as the church, we are the body of Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. He says, whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free, despite your social status or your background or your ethnicity, there is one thing that we have in common is that we have been baptized into the faith of Jesus, and there's one Spirit, that the same Spirit that's in me, if you're a believer, is the same Spirit that's in you. We have something that unites us and brings us together, and that is God's Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Whenever you see the word member here, you can insert the word part. That the body is many parts, not just one part. And that makes sense, right? Right? Our bodies have different body what? Parts. It would be weird if we only had one part to our body, right? It wouldn't work. The the function wouldn't work. And so listen, as Paul begins to illustrate this, he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not of eye or not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. That God is the one who has assigned you a specific role within the body or the church of Christ. Similar to our text today in Nehemiah 3, each person was assigned something different. If they were all assigned one place on the wall, you'd have one really tall wall with that wasn't surrounded. But each person needed to do the task that was given to them to be able to complete the task. Okay. Verse 19, it says, and if there were all one member, where would be the body or where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. But those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, have given, having given greater honor to the, that part which lacks it. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body or part that is lacking, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members or parts individually. See, I love what Paul displays here. He kind of has some humor, if you can catch it, uh, some sarcasm here. But you see, he addresses a couple different things. He says, whether you say about yourself that you're not part of the body or you don't have a place in the body of Christ, he says, that doesn't make you not a part of the body. And he says, if someone else says, well, you're not needed, he says, well, you're still needed. He says, whether you say it about yourself or someone says it about you, it's as if, you know, your, your hand were to say, to itself, well, I'm just the hand, I'm not the brain, so I'm not really part of the body, it's absurd. The hand needs the brain and the brain needs the hand, right? And so the same thing is true if someone uh, were to say, or if the the foot were to say to the head, head, I don't need you, I'll I'll walk around myself. It's like, no, 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 it completely works together and does not work apart from one another. You guys catching the idea? And see, you have a place in the church, God has a role for you in the body, that there is one goal, and that is to build God's church, that is to build the kingdom of God, that is to add more and for us to grow, but it is one body, but members individually. That's something I want you to write down as we turn back to Nehemiah chapter 3. Within this chapter of Nehemiah chapter 3, built, the word built is used six times, it means rebuilt. And the word repair is used 35 times. It's to make strong or firm. It's to strengthen, to encourage, or to make something strong. Remember, when things are repeated, it means that they're significant. And why do I point this out? You see, when we come together and when we begin to do things for God together, then we as a whole begin to be strengthened. You see, if Nehemiah just went out to the wall and just began to build one brick by one, how long do you think it would take him? It would take him a million years, right? Eight feet thick, a mile and a half long. It would be insane with towers and gates and all kinds of different things. See, Nehemiah knew that God doesn't work with lone soldiers, but he works together. And he knows that when it comes together, that we, we are able to repair each other. You see, you and I aren't called to build walls, but we are called to strengthen or to repair one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 says this about God's church and the body of Christ. You can note it down. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you see that word edifying? It's a very similar word to the word repair. You see, church is kind of like a repair shop, that when we come together, uh, that there is a building up of the church, that there uh, is a strengthening of one another. It's awesome. It's the way that God has designed it. But when we try to just do church at home by ourselves, it just doesn't work the same. That though we have our personal relationships with God, there is something that God does when his people come together for one purpose. When the purpose is him, God begins to strengthen and grow, and it is awesome, and it's how God moves, and it's how God works. Uh, there's a guy here at the church, his name's Pastor Dennis. Anyone know Pastor Dennis? Uh, super awesome guy. He's like a walking Bible dictionary, it's amazing. I call him all the time and ask him, Dennis, Pastor Dennis, how? I don't know what to do with this Bible verse, and it's, it's awesome. Super good, good guy, but he always says, I hear him say to new believers, he's, he's a, over the new believers ministry, and he always tells them the importance of the body getting together, and he uses the example of hot coals. Uh, any of your dads use charcoal barbecues? Uh, it's a little bit more work, but pretty, pretty good taste and stuff that comes out of it. But if you imagine your dad going to his barbecue and having one coal and trying to light that, and then trying to like cook dinner for you guys. How quick would that one coal go out? But what if you have a whole bunch of coals, you light them on fire, they work together to keep each other warm, to strengthen one another, same way that God has intention for the church. Why is church important? Why is doing God's work and serving him important? Because it strengthens us. It repairs us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider one another, In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. See, it's important to come together. We are the ones that stir one another up and begin to strengthen and repair so that when we go back out into the world, we're able to build, we're able to advance God's kingdom and share with people and begin to do things for the Lord. It's awesome. But you see, any small gap in the wall, let's come back to Nehemiah 3. Say if one of the portions uh, or one of the people decide, well, I don't really want to build my wall. The whole rest of the wall is built. It's just my section. It's just one little hole in the wall. You see, any gap in the wall would compromise the entire structure. Have you guys ever seen um, movies where they have... um, you know, some kind of where it's like back in the day when they had walled cities and, and maybe the, the people are trying to attack, they'd always be looking for a small gap, right? They'd always be looking for what is the weakest point of entry, that they would go to the gates because the gates were really the, the weakest part in the wall. But imagine if there was a walled city that had just an open hole. When the enemy is to come, he gets in right away, no problem. He doesn't have to try to climb over the wall. He doesn't have to try to bust through, and so all were needed to do their part. Remember they are building this wall for that purpose of protection. I want you to write this down. We're only as strong as the sum of us. The sum it means the when when it all comes together. We're only as strong as the sum of us, not our strongest few. That God is able to do more through many than some than a little bit through one. But the foundation of our work is always the same. Our the objective or what the purpose is the foundation, and it's for you and I. It's Jesus. First Corinthians chapter three, verse eleven says this: For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation for which we do or build anything. It is the thing that connects us together. It is our common goal and objective. But the goal of God for you and I looks different for us now than it did back then for Nehemiah and the Jews. God's not calling you to build, you know, be a master builder to build walls. He is about building his church and his kingdom. And it can look different in all kinds of different ways, but there is something that it has to be done. It has to be done next to each other. It does not work. One man church does not work. Whether it's, you know, and and you might say, well, what does it mean to build his church or kingdom building? It's the simple things. It's growing together here at church. It's being involved in serving one another. That's building his church. That's growing it. Or maybe it's evangelism, sharing the Lord with someone so a soul is added, building, increasing. Maybe it's reaching the physical needs of people to bring spiritual healing. It's building his kingdom. And so the question for you today is what is your part? Where do you fit in the body of Christ? Where is your place on the wall? People are building. God has called them to. He has assigned them to. And where are you at? Are you there hammering away? Are you there putting one brick after another? Are you there on the sidelines just sipping tea? Where is your place? God has a place. He's he's called you to do something here and now your age your home, your school, your city. And so that is the zoom out. If we were flying over the city, uh, that is what we could take away is that, okay, I can't see specifics of what is going on, but I know that everyone is working together and that is how God works. Uh, But you guys ready to land the plane and go walk around the walls? We're gonna do that now. So we're gonna zoom in now and there's many little things that we can draw from the text in little pieces. So we're gonna land the plane uh, we're gonna and now we're gonna take a walk around the city walls. Okay, people are building away. People have their assignments. Forty-two different groups, thirty-eight different individuals that are named, different families that are together, different spiritual leaders, and uh, we're gonna walk around the city gates. And I want you to close your eyes real quick. Okay, I want you to imagine this: that there's hammering going on around. There's there's chatter amongst the people, and they're talking, and there's no doubt joy. And imagine, I wish, man, I should have played something, you know, some kind of soundtrack. You know, uh, yeah, so, someone makes some, like, hammering down sounds or something. Okay, you guys didn't do that very well. Okay, but you guys get the idea. We're going we're gonna to walk around. And so there are seven different things that we're going to now zoom in, and uh, we're going to take a look at. There's, we could spend all day on here, uh, but we're gonna, just going to take a look at seven different things that you and I need to keep in mind while seeking to serve God and to build his church, to be a part of the body, okay? You guys ready? I'm excited. Are you excited? Okay, we're going to walk around in a group effort. If your eyes are still closed, you can open them, okay? <laughs> okay, Nehemiah chapter 3. You guys there? Okay, look at verse 1 with me. Uh, we will see uh, this principle of Dedication. Dedication. Verse 1, it says this, Then uh, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the tower of Hananel. You see, we see the first person mentioned is the high priest. We'll just call him Eli because his name is a little hard to pronounce. Eli, the high priest. We see that he's the first one to rise up and begin to build with his priestly brothers. And it says that be- they began to build the sheep gate. Anyone guess what the sheep gate's for? Yeah. Yeah, bringing all the sheep in. And for what? Why would you want sheep in the city? Yeah. Yeah. To make the close? Okay, close. Uh, This sheep gate was for something a little bit more holy, a little bit more specific. It was for the animal sacrifices, right? It's for the temple worship. That the sheep gate uh, is where they would bring the animals through for the daily and yearly sacrifices in the temple. And this is significant because they started with the most holy or most important place uh, of the city. and And it had to do with the worship of God. And it says, notice there, there's a C word. It says that they consecrated it. That's kind of a weird word, but it means this, to make holy. It is to dedicate. It's to set it aside for God. It's to recognize something as special and specific for God. It's to dedicate it to God. It's that before they began all the building, it's that they prayed and they say, God, this is for you. The work that we're about to do is all for you. That the sheep gate and how we're going to put this up and do this, and not just the sheep gate, but all the other walls that are going to go up. God, it is for you. They dedicated it to God. And I believe this is significant and important for you and I. That as the first act of building, they, they do it with the gate that has to do with worship, and they dedicate it to God. God was first. They put him first in this scenario. They recognize that this whole wall, it was God's. And so they just said what was already God. They said, God, this is yours. So we're going to do this, but we're going to recognize this as yours. You see, God desires that everything would be dedicated or set apart for him. And yes, even the things that we think he wouldn't want, the city gates and the walls. God says, I want everything, everything dedicated to me. And the first work was dedication to God. And then everything else followed. There was a lot more work to be done than just the sheep gate and just this simple consecration and dedication of this gate. But it was the first thing. And it's the same thing for, for your life and for my life. It has to be first. This dedication to God saying, God, this is your work. My life is your life. Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do, In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That the first act when serving God or seeking, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of that part of the body that I have. I know I have a part, and I know I have a call. The first thing is, it has to be dedicated for him. The motive is everything. And we are to dedicate ourselves to God, and then whatever we do, we say, God, this is yours. However small we might think it is very important. As the spiritual leader of Israel, Eli set the tone. We see that his hard work here set the tone, and everyone else began to follow. And I think that's important for us to know. But unfortunately, I have some bad news for you guys. Uh, This is something that we won't see on until later. Uh, But Eli, he started really well. That as the high priest here, we see that he did the right thing. But just because you start well doesn't mean you finish strong. You guys hear me? Just because right now you're doing great with the Lord. There's people that, that we know that they went through the junior high ministry and they were strong. I, know, I can think of someone specifically. They were walking with the Lord and it's been about three years and they're away from him. They don't want anything to do with God. See, so just because you start well doesn't mean you finish strong. And well, how did uh, Eli end? Uh, well, Nehemiah chapter 13, I don't want you to turn there. Nehemiah 13 verse four through nine talks about how he allied with to, uh, uh, Tobiah, the enemy, that he approved um, to give his, his daughter um, over to Sanballat's daughter, one of the, the enemies uh, to his daughter, sorry, his son to his daughter. And it talks about in Nehemiah 13, how he prepared a room in the temple, in the house of God for Tobiah to come and stay, that he basically invited the enemy into God's house and provided and began to give him, the enemy uh, who was against the building of the walls, began to give him what was rightfully the priests. They began to disobey God and not listen. And so what I want you to write down is that dedication to God is not a one-time decision, but an everyday choice. It's an everyday choice. It's not a one-time decision. And so Second thing we'll look at is willingness in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. It's that as we serve God and seek to be a part of the body of Christ, we need to be willing. Verse 5, it says, next to them, the uh, Ticoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. We see here that there is a mixed group of these uh, Ticoites. It's kind of a funny name. But the first group is the workers who, yes, is that they repaired the gate. But it says that their nobles, though, meaning uh, the ones who were in governing authority over them, it says that they refused to work on the gate. It says that the nobles wouldn't put their shoulders or it means that they wouldn't bend their necks to be able to do the hard labor. But notice, look at verse five. It says that they weren't willing to do it to their Lord, to their Lord for God. They weren't willing to do it for God. And you see, this is an issue, not, it's not that they couldn't. It's not that the nobles were like disabled and they were like, oh, sorry, just, you know, broken leg. It's not that at all. It was an issue of submission and it was an issue of willingness. It's not that the nobles couldn't, but it's simply that they didn't want to. And we don't know exactly the reason, but it seems that the, seems like the root of it would be pride. They were the nobles, they were the governing officials of this group of people. so' like, no, we don't, we don't do that. We're, we're above that. And pride began to set in. And this is the problem within serving God. God can't use an unwilling person. God, God can can change you and, and qualify you and make you able, but willingness is a huge key. And you notice the contrast though with the other. Uh, Ticoites. If you look in verse 27, look in verse 27, these people come up again. It says, after them, the Ticoites repaired another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. That the Ticoites, the, the ones that weren't the nobles that had put the work in, that they do more work, un, unnecessary for them, that they get done with their section and then began to go help someone else repair. And we see the contrast here. The nobles, unwilling to work. I'm above this. But then we see the other people, they're, they're just willing to do anything. God loves a willing heart. It's what he looks for. God says, I don't need you to be able. I'll make you able. But what I need you to be is willing. Third thing that we'll look at is in verse 8, and it is availability. Availability. You guys following? You guys tracking? Yeah. Okay. We're, walking. We're making the slow turn around The walls coming up to verse eight, and we find there some goldsmiths and some perfumers. And you're like, what? Look at verse eight. It says, next to him, right, there's our word. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You see, this is significant because if you go through the 32 verses, you will find no carpenters, you will find no architects, you will find no manual laborers, that people who were building would seem unqualified, that they were not professionals in their field, that, they, that someone would look and wouldn't it consider, consider them able or qualified. And the important thing, though, rather than being qualified or not, is being available. That though the goldsmith normally just you know worked with uh, jewelry and maybe um, different things like that, and the perfumer, I mean, he definitely was not, uh, he or she was definitely not a, a normal kind of like labor carpenter or anything that would help build the walls, yet they stepped in. They were available. They made themselves available to God. You see, God desires those who are not willing, only willing to work, but would make themselves available to do things they would think They are not qualified for. You see, sometimes within serving God and maybe we're sensing that God calls us to this certain part to do something and we're like, there's no way I must be be thinking wrong. There's no way God would ask me to do that because I'm not able to. There's no way God would ask me to talk to that person because I'm just not very good at speaking. Like, it's just not my thing. I'm better at math. You see, it's a famous quote, but it is a sure good one. Uh, I believe it's Matt Baderson who says this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. See, God doesn't need your amazing abilities. He just needs your amazing availabilities. You make yourself willing and available, and though you might not be natural in that way, God, through his supernatural power, will begin to do things that you never thought were possible. I can tell you this from experience. It's not that when I was a little kid, I was like, I'm going to teach the Bible one day. The fact that I'm up here is absolutely terrifying. And it is still, the nerves are uh, unwavering. And I never thought I would, you know, be a Bible teacher. But I know what God's called me to do. And so I'm going to step into it. And I've seen God begin to grow me in this area of things. And whatever it might be for you, it might not, usually it's not going to be in the public spectacle, but what is God calling you to do? Don't just... Um, brush it off because you think you're not able to. God uses availability. Fourth thing that we'll look at quickly is uh, leaving the past behind. Leaving the past behind. Malkijah, the son of Haram. Look at verse 11. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath-Moab, repaired another section as well as the Tower of the Ovens. Told you there's some crazy names in here, right? Uh, We'll just call this guy... Uh, May. How, Mal. We'll call him Mal. How about that? It's like Sal, but Mal. That works? Does that work for you guys? Yes? No? Maybe so? No? Okay, we'll call him Mal anyway. Okay, Mal. Uh, what do I mean leaving the past behind? Well, we don't know much about Mal here, but what we do know about him is actually in Ezra chapter 10 verse 31. Just write, wrote that, write that down. Don't turn there. Ezra 10 31. Here he's mentioned as someone who gets strongly rebuked for taking on pagan wives. Meaning he began to do things that were outside of God's laws and what he has commanded him to do. It was pretty, I mean, it was bad. It was like he knew what he was to do. God had told him. It was clear. But he began sinning against God. But now we see him here, and he's building the wall. We don't know much about him other than that he's he's participating in what God is doing. See, now years later, we see that he gets right with God and is now serving God. And what is the encouragement for you and I? Do not let past failures get in the way of future serving opportunities. You might think, well, I I, I sinned before. Yes, (laughs) same with everyone else, join the club. And sometimes we can let our past failures say, well, I'm not qualified to do that now because I did this thing. It's not true, it's not how God works. God is a God of second chances, and we see this encouraging for, from Mal. And not only should you not let your own past failures get in the way of you serving God, but so often we can be so judgmental towards other people, right? And we see, well, <laughs> do you know what they did in the past? So don't judge someone else for a past failure thinking that they can't serve God anymore because it's not true. God works differently than you and I do. Uh, the third to last thing is getting down and dirty. Okay? verse fourteen, getting down and dirty. We're still making our journey around the wall. Uh, we're getting close to the end. Verse fourteen uh, mentions another guy named Malkijah, and it says this: "So Malkijah, the son of uh, Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hekram, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. What gate did he build?" refuse. You know what refuse is? Another word for refuse is dung, that he built the dung gate. Uh, He got chosen to build the poop gate, right? Um, And what what, what was it for? Well, this was just, it was the word that they would throw. It was the gate that they used to throw basically all the trash. They didn't have like, you know, dump trucks and uh, or trash truck drivers and things like that to come around. Uh, and they didn't have a really great way of disposing of it. And so they just had one gate and they threw it right outside the city walls. Okay, close the gate. Um, I don't know exactly how it worked. I don't think uh, anyone, you know, knows the details. But what is the, what is the thing for us? How did this guy get stuck with the smelly gate? Um, well, someone had to build it. Someone had to do it. And there are times when God will ask you to get down and dirty in people's trash. Uh, it is called ministry. Trash. And what do you, what do you mean Trash. Uh, what's not supposed to be there. Sometimes ministry and serving God is getting into people's business of stuff that is not supposed to be there. And when you begin to really apply yourself to serve God, God will ask you to be involved in people's lives. And a lot of people's lives are absolute messes. tell you guys that. A lot of people's lives are messes, and that's ministry. That's what sin does. And serving God, sometimes he will ask you to step in and begin to deal with, not judge and condemn, but begin to help deal with. And this also includes, though, I think, stuff that literally seems dirty to you, uh, like cleaning bathrooms. You know we have bathrooms in the church? Did you guys know that? You guys ever been there? You know someone cleans them? You guys know that? And sometimes serving God, uh, sometimes it's cleaning bathrooms, and you're like, oh my gosh, I would, I would never want to do that. Uh, when you're serving the Lord, I'm telling you, I've gotten to do it before. Uh, there was a time where we didn't have enough people cleaning bathrooms, and so I was in my office, and at times we had to go clean the bathroom. This is awesome. Serving the Lord, when you get, even the dirty stuff seems like great. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, it just has to do. But someone has to do it. Uh, would you be willing? Would you be willing? Sometimes ministry is getting down and getting dirty. Uh, verse 20, we are on our way. Closing right now. Uh, verse 20 says, talks about a guy named Baruch. You guys still following? You good? Okay, look at verse 20. It says this. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section. From the buttress to the door of the of the house of Eli, the high priest. We see here, you see how it says that Baruch carefully repaired? It's not that he was just like oh, so, so carefully. But it really, the word carefully means this. It means to have a deep concern and eager desire. It means to have a passion. It literally means to burn or to glow. And you see, one who works for God must not do it with like, well, I guess so. Guess this is what God has called me to do. No, that there should be some passion there. There should be some care about what you're putting your hands to that God wants, doesn't want laziness and apathy. He says, You can just stay home if you're going to be like that. He says, I, I, I believe 100% God desires enthusiasm and passion and, and hard work. And it's awesome. It's a privilege to be able to serve the Lord. The very last thing that we'll look at today, and we won't read the verses, but if you notice in verse 10, 23 29 and 30 that if you and I were there as they were building we began to walk around there'd be a five different guys that we would see that oh they got assigned the portion of the wall that was right in front of their house They're like oh okay like they they were able to build right in front of their house their house right here the wall was right here right here and they were just able to begin to build and what is the significance for you and I Well, before you can go out and serve God in the world, the walls of your home need to first be built. That what lies in front, it always starts at home. You see, those who built, they began to build at their home. And every real work for God must begin at home. Meaning, what kind of walls do you have up at home? Or what walls are broken down? You might be one way at church, but how are you at home? You might be cheerful and joyful to serve the Lord, and when there's a serving option, you you love it. But how are you at home? How do you treat your mom? How do you treat your dad? How do you treat your siblings? Because that is who you are. Who Who you are at home is way more who you are than when you're serving the Lord in that church. Be at home will always be the hardest place to build for Jesus. For whatever reason, home, maybe it's we comfortable or we're around people all the time, to shine bright for him, yet it always has to start there. That until things at home are right, and you don't, you don't have a home that you own yet, but you are a part of one, are things right there? That's where God wants to start. And until that begins to improve, I'm not saying it has to be perfect. God says, I don't, I don't want your service. Begin at home. Let your ministry be your home life and how you treat your your parents and your siblings and how you act at home and the things that you do or do not do. And so as we conclude, the big idea, right? God has designed his work to be done next to each other. That eternity is most affected when God's people do God's work together. And when everyone does their part, then the church functions best. The body of Christ is able to advance the most, but when it's just a select few, there's not as much as that can be done, and so you have a part. Everyone look at me. You have a part in the body of Christ if you are his. What is it, though? We have to throw out all the excuses out the window. However insignificant we might think our part is, um, God says it's crucial, Worship team, you guys can come out. Um, give you guys an example of what I mean about the insignificant parts or what seem like small parts. You might think, well, you know, we talked about cleaning bathrooms, right? Imagine if the bathrooms never got cleaned around here. Imagine if for years they never got cleaned. Just Imagine how disgusting they would be. And you're like, I don't want to imagine that. Uh, what would happen to the church population? if the bathrooms were never cleaned, people would begin to go somewhere else. They'd be like, well, the church on the street, they clean their bathrooms. And so they say Pastor Jack's teaching is the best in the world, which it sure seems that so. Uh, And it's like, man, the best Bible teaching and the worship is unbelievable and the facility and uh, it's just awesome and God's doing stuff, but the bathrooms aren't clean there. So (laughs) we're not going to go, let's go down the church down the street. The insignificant parts are not insignificant. They all tie and work together. And so you might think, well, it's not a big deal, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a small part. It's huge, it's everything, and God's using it. We work next to each other, all right? God, we just come before you and we thank you for the, that truth, Lord, that, that you work with us and you want us to work together. It's how you've designed so many things in creation and it's how you've designed the body, Lord, to think that you are the head and we are the body. Lord, that though, Jesus, you aren't here anymore physically, your physical body is not here. Lord, we are your hands and your feet. Lord, we know that you could have done a great job all by yourself, uh, but uh, Lord, you're teaching us something, that you desire to do it with us, and you desire us to do it with one another. And so, Lord, I just pray for, for those in this room that might not know their part, that even in this song of worship as we close, that you would speak to them, that you'd begin to burden on their heart the call for ministry and service, that they would see coming to church and being a part, Lord, is not just something they do, but they would see it as that repair shop, that we strengthen one another in the work that we do. And you'd begin to give them eyes for other people, for ministry and serving you is all about other people. And so, Lord, do this in us as we seek to build and to do our part. In Jesus' name, we said amen.